This is Nemitha Sage-Motha for NAJM Catalyst. Today, I am speaking with Dr. Consuelo Wilkins. Dr. Wilkins currently serves as the Chief Equity Officer and Professor of Medicine at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. I won't name all of her remarkable accomplishments and accolades here today, but please suffice it to say there are many. Her career has been focused on community engagement, community academic partnerships, and addressing health equities. And today, we will be focusing on her work with the Vanderbilt community on anti-racism. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start with the basics. Tell us about your chief equity role. What is your purview and responsibilities in this position? So in my role as chief equity officer, I oversee two offices. So one is the Office of Health Equity and the other is the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. And we intentionally keep those separate. Uh, and oftentimes you, we hear people sort of conflate the two, but for us, we think it's important to distinguish between health equity where we're focusing on health outcomes, so making sure that people who are socially disadvantaged uh, have every opportunity for optimal health. So that's about health outcomes. And then um, in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, we're actually thinking about the workforce and how to make sure that the workforce uh, is, reflects the, the broad diversity of the populations that we serve, that we're thinking about you know, how to make sure that those people are actually included and have, have a sense of belonging in the organization. But that is about the workforce and the, the students and trainees. So we put them in that space as well, thinking about the pathway. So now, obviously, what we know about health equity is that having a more diverse and inclusive workforce uh, does have some impact on health equity. But they are actually two separate and distinct concepts because when you think about what's necessary to have a diverse workforce, it's very different than when you think about what's needed to, um, to affect outcomes, health outcomes. Can you share with us a little bit about some of the specific projects uh, that, are, that are going on in, in each of these uh, two departments to, to highlight those, those differences? Yes, so in our Office of Health Equity, we actually, that's where our community health needs assessment is housed. So our you know, required, you know, every three years at least process of engaging the community to identify needs. Uh, and for us, a big focus is on populations that have been minoritized, marginalized, socially disadvantaged. That happens in our Office of Health Equity. In our Office of Health Equity, we also have a, a certificate program that focuses on uh, training individuals to use a health equity lens and examining information, data, developing plans and strategies to actually improve health outcomes. Meanwhile, in our Office of Diversity and Inclusion, we have strategies focused on uh, recruiting and retaining individuals from uh, racially, uh, racial and ethnic minorities from groups that have been underrepresented and historically excluded. So there we have our um, faculty toolkit for uh, advancing inclusive excellence. So uh, making sure that we're emphasizing in that space that diversity is not just for diversity's sake, 
but if we actually want to achieve um, our best excellence or be excellent, then we recognize the value of diversity. You mentioned Vanderbilt's commitment uh, to becoming an anti-racist medical center. What does this mean in the context of the, the larger frame that you just mentioned? And what are some of the key strategies and tactics that Vanderbilt is using to realize this bold goal? Yes, so when we think about equity and groups that have been socially disadvantaged, you know, that can be groups based on uh, race, ethnicity, uh, sexual and gender minority status, um, social, socioeconomic status. So there are many you know, um, areas or, or spaces where people have been socially disadvantaged. For us, we, when we are focusing on uh, racism and recognizing that as really an area that has been challenging for us to address, not just us at Vanderbilt, but us broadly in, uh, in society, we have decided that we want to be intentional in actively uh, addressing and confronting racism. So that anti-racism, that anti-racist approach means that we actually have an action plan. We're developing clear steps with intentionality and thinking about how we will actually dismantle, confront, reorganize, transform the organization um, to address racism. What does that look like in the day-to-day? So I'm very excited that we just uh, in the last week have released internally our um, racial equity plan. And in that plan, it has more than a hundred specific actions that we as an organization are taking um, to confront racism. And that, you know, uh, it's organized in eight uh, thematic areas and, and starts with how do we actually create and ensure that we have the infrastructure that's needed to do this work. Uh, And then across the other thematic areas, we're focusing on recruiting, including promoting racial and ethnic minorities, making sure that they have the benefits to achieve equity. Uh, There's a focus on students and trainees. There's a plan specifically for creating an anti-racist research agenda. We have a focus as well on um, being anti-racist in the clinical setting and providing more equitable care. So it's it's really intended to be a roadmap um, in which every single action has a leader that is responsible and accountable for that action. Well, first of all, congratulations and thank you forward to hearing about how that that journey that journey goes in getting in even getting to this point of having this plan. And then as you look ahead to activating and implementing it, what have been some of the biggest challenges and barriers and how have you overcome them or how will you plan on overcoming them? Yeah, so we actually have been thinking quite a bit about this uh, as we we actually produced uh, and delivered our racial equity plan um, at the end of December 2021. In the last few months, we've been planning for the implementation and thinking through, you know, what are going to be the barriers to doing this work? 
Uh, so, you know, on, on the one hand, we have people who are, you know, very passionate and vocal and ready to do this work. And they're saying, you know, it's been months since you all said you were going to have this plan. Why haven't we done the work? You're moving too slow. And then we have people on the other hand who are saying, this is moving too fast. You know, mm -hmm. We have, you're talking about racism, you're talking about anti-racism, you're talking about white supremacy, and this is a lot. So, you know, how do we actually um, try and make sure that we are having some, you know, wins and actions being taken while we're also uh, preparing people who are not fully prepared to do this work or be involved or even talk about this work move forward? Uh, so, a key piece of our implementation plan is actually managing the resistance. So we're actively talking about thinking through and asking our leaders to imagine how they might actually resist the actions in these plans. And for some people that's a little bit challenging to do. So we're asking them to also think about how individuals who report to them might be resistant to the plan. Sometimes they can come up with those, those <laughs> answers a little bit easier, but, though, but we want to make sure that people are thinking about how, uh, what kinds of resistance they'll face so that we can also arm them with the tools to address the, the resistance. What's an example of a tool that you might provide one of your clinical leaders to help manage the resistance? Well, so we are preparing um, different kinds of anti-racism trainings. Um, so specifically, you know, in the clinical setting, thinking about how to make sure individuals are able to uh, really use that health equity lens to identify inequities. So how to actually disaggregate data by uh, race, ethnicity, gender, social determinants of health. And then we have other areas that we're focused on that are considering if you're experiencing racism in the clinical setting as a student or trainee, you know, how, how, what kind of upstander training is needed so that we can actually address it in that moment and really be clear on what kind of organization we are and how we're not going to tolerate uh, discrimination, bias, or racism. So again, thinking through all of those kinds of tools that people might need um, is, is really based on the problems we've identified uh, and the uh, resulting actions that we planned. You mentioned data earlier. How are you using data of your of your patient population, of the employee population uh, to inform uh, some of these tactics? And just as importantly, how are you going to measure and demonstrate success? Yes. Yeah, so when we were developing this plan and actually when we the first step to the plan was actually coming up with a set of recommendations. And uh, when we were developing the recommendations, we went through a lot of data. So we you know, we were looking at uh, the, uh, the diversity of the workforce um, at every, in different roles and different levels. We were looking at um, if you made, uh, if you were in a service role, so 
in the one of the lower wage earning roles in the organization, we were looking at whether or not you contributed to your retirement account at the level for which you would get a match. And then we were disaggregating that by race and ethnicity. And, and, and from that, we learned that uh, Black and uh, Hispanic Latinx um, uh, individuals were less likely to be contributing at a, at a level uh, for which they could get a match. And so um, one of the actions is actually to have more um, culturally relevant uh, information provided to individuals uh, to support their being able to um, contribute to their retirement, um, access to you know, hardship funds, um, and you know, making that information around financial literacy available um, in languages other than English and being delivered by individuals that might be um, more racially or culturally concordant with that population. So that's one example of specifically the data in informing the plans. And then, you know, certainly, you know, we've also thought quite a bit about how we will evaluate the work and what success looks like. So in our plan, um, in addition to an action and an individual who's responsible and a, le a leader who's accountable, we have um, milestones and metrics for each action that's already in the plan. Now we expect that those milestones and metrics will evolve over time and maybe they'll be, become more precise, um, but we have, we'll have an overarching um, evaluation plan. Uh, we're, we're hiring uh, a director of evaluation specifically for this work and that individual will actually help us refine that conceptual framework and the logic models. And so every individual that is uh, responsible for an action will be responsible for communicating progress up to the evaluator level um, that's informing our overall um, tracking. I'm already looking forward to our part two conversation where we talk about <laughs> the impact of, of all of this. Let me ask you one last question. Given all the work that you've done, given where you are in this journey and, 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 and the work uh, that is ahead, what advice would you give your colleagues across the country and quite frankly, across the world who are committed to building anti-racism cultures in their organizations? Well, I, I would say it's so important that uh, you have a plan. I think that's probably obvious. I think you should have a plan. Uh, and, and that plan needs to be informed by and developed with a broad group of people. You know, we had more than 100 people on our uh, racial equity task force, and that represented students, faculty, you know, clinicians, um, people in service roles. We had the, you know, the chief of campus police, the hospital presidents were all involved in this. And, and you have to make sure that you have a lot of different lenses and perspectives included in that work. Um, and a, a very important aspect of this is um, the leadership's role. So, you know, this racial equity plan is not my plan. It's our plan, uh, our CEO and Dean, uh, endorse has been involved in helped to revise the plan and so that buy-in at the leadership level is really critical because it really needs to be 
uh, it needs to be understood and expected that this is um, a group activity and that we have broad accountability. And that's also why we spent so much time thinking about, okay, who's going to be responsible and accountable? And in that plan, we actually identified the role so that uh, you know, if an individual leaves or moves or you know, gets promoted, the responsibility of that work um, stays with the role. So I think that hopefully will increase our chances of being successful. The chances for success already sound pretty high to me, Consuelo. Thank you so much for speaking with NAJM Catalyst today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.